welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. Each episode will have a different theme, and we'll talk about things that help to bring that theme to real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the heart or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Maggie Smith writes, Do not fold yourself up until you are too small to fold. Remember Whitman. You are large, you contain multitudes. Let yourself, your multitudes, unfold and take up space. Our lives, our society, the way that it's constructed, our human strategy of excellence, of excelling, and that hunger for excellence is built on top of a pyramid of boxes and shoulds, categories that we didn't construct, mostly, but instead categories that we've inherited. And it's up to to us to smash that scaffolding if it limits us, when it limits us, so that we can become who we are meant to be so that we can flourish. And that takes audacity. A long time ago, when I was in the thick of graduate school, which was, for me, kind of like a a deconstruction of my soul as well as my body, I had a friend at that time in Champaign who would quietly and with very little fanfare on Tuesday afternoon, she'd say to me, okay, I'm, I'm going to go to the coffee shop and work on my movie. And because it was such kind of a quiet statement, and she didn't really build it up or discuss its bigness, I sort of ignored her. And I probably smiled and thought it was cute and was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you go, you go write your movie. And I look back at that and understand how limited my thinking was because no one person that I knew that was just a regular person was going to write a screenplay that could be made into a movie. Well, her quietly ritualized Tuesdays became a reality after two years. She did make that movie. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that I could hardly believe it and she and I have, have laughed about it. We've stayed good friends, and we've laughed about it since. And she was gracious with me, even though I I did not have the audacity or even understand the audacity back then to really have believed it. But that soaring belief in herself and her Whitman-esque multitudes was never her limitation. It was mine. And that movie that she made was certainly a teacher for me, and it was symbolic and inspirational. And and I am learning more about audacity as I go. It doesn't seem to really come naturally to me, or maybe it's my Southern politeness that gets confused at the door and changes into kind of like this cloak of why would I be able to do that? What would give me the right to inhabit that kind of bigness? Or a kind of like smashing the definition of something 
um, outgrowing the definition of something so that it includes things that you didn't think that it, it could include, um, like yourself. And I, I think the ingredients for this recipe is audacity mixed with imagination of being able to imagine something that isn't even in your scope yet or in your wheelhouse yet that no one has told you that you could do. Creating something so audacious, so vast from scratch, from the friction of your own interest and curiosity. And I, as part of my evolution and growth in this world, I'm interested in thinking wider and bigger and less categorically so that my creativity can be at its most potent and so that nothing is off the table. An audacious and highly imaginative belief that nothing is categorically off limits to you or to me. I tripped over a Gloria Steinem quote that I loved um, that, you know, that I had to kind of sit with for a few weeks because it, it feels complicated, but it feels really relevant. She says, labeling makes the invisible visible, but categories are the enemy of connecting. Link, don't rank. Labeling makes the invisible visible, but categories are the enemy of connecting. Link, don't rank. And this meant something to me and deserved to be dog-eared. The labeling or naming something is the beginning. It is organizational. Labeling and categorizing something kind of gives it legs. It gives it an outline. But then it can deaden things after that and kind of stop the flow of creativity. And I don't think this is true just in art or in writing screenplays but also in how we define and qualify rites of passage and things that matter. One of my dear friends had an unplanned cesarean section at the birth of her first child. And years later, she told me that somebody, another woman actually, asked her if she struggled with the fact that she did not give birth to her child. And my friend <laughs> just looked at her um, and said, what do you mean? Of course I birthed my child. You you think I didn't birth my child because I didn't push her out vaginally through the birth canal? And she said, let me be clear, I birthed that child. I breathed, I labored, I screamed, and I birthed that soul into this world. And for you to assume otherwise is an insult to my entire story. The audacity for us to transcend tra traditional definitions of birth, of death, of grief, success, happiness, wealth, loneliness, illness, art, and all those things that we hold dear and important, those things that are markers, it's necessary for us to transcend those traditional definitions. This is required evolution. When I read Annie Dillard, I feel wealthy. That's one of my definitions of wealth, is reading her. When I spend all week writing to hope and catch something in my net for a podcast episode, I know that I've given birth. When a friend who I've loved decides that she does not choose me anymore, 
in friendship. I feel, I feel that like a death. Success most days feels like that I was a really good listener to myself, to my body, to the day, to my family, and to whatever has lined up as a teacher that day. Grief sometimes feels like the sun. It's not always cold, and it does not always make me shudder. Sometimes I'm just glad that I'm emotional enough to feel loss through and through, and I'm relieved that I was even brave enough to love. Happiness is only here. Everywhere else is just hearsay. So we get to define when we have birthed something. And we get to define when something has died in our hands. Only us. That is ours to draw. And that cracking of traditional definitions takes incredible audacity. And it's so important as we continue to create the world that we want to live in. Otis, my Otis, has always, always loved the color pink. He loves all colors. He really loves rainbows. And he most often chooses the color pink. And I dread the day next year, probably, when he begins kindergarten, and somebody will tell him that pink is a girl color. And I want to preserve, as long as I can, his joy, his choice, his right to love pink unencumbered without the imposition of the categories that it lives in. That things that were constructed not by him, but by our societal boxes. And I'm going to do my best to combat that for him, to keep his excitement without walls and shoulds and gender laws, and hope that I can inject audacity into his cereal and that it just becomes part of him. I was reading something by Glennon Doyle some months back that struck me. She was noticing in the shower, in the shower where her kids shower, the difference between the designated boy products and the girl products and how the boy soap had marketing and messages of power and strength and that the girl soap had messages that were soft and sweet and pretty and pink And how something as simple as marketing to young teens can fuel their lives with the subtle messaging of what society deems is important, of what is held dear, and what's in store for them. And those lessons, those messages that we get, they follow us around as teens, as grown-ups, and sometimes forever. And as beauty culture pushes on people to look a certain way. And the boxes, of course, extend to our artistic personas and and our pursuits. Even when you're up to something that doesn't have a definition yet, you are still allowed to call yourself somebody. Even if the category has not been carved out yet, you can still exist in that space, really bright and fertile and creating. I believe that we need more weirdos and less walls the audacity to harness your truxel and really ride it well and if you haven't listened to the truxel episode go back a few weeks and listen because that one informs this one 
We discount ourselves when categories are around. And then what happens is we don't hear our name called. Writers do this. Artists act like this. If you were a real yogi, you do this. Girls do this. Boys do this. Men want this. Women in their 40s tend to want this. The audacity and the imagination to take these dividers down and to stop ranking and to stop pushing things into categories that don't really belong and instead connect to what we love truly, what we are meant for, that's the ask. Linking our human experience instead of labeling our human experience. So otherwise, we should ourselves write into a box. I also want to talk about age and how age can create segmented places where we stop ourselves. I'm too old for that. Age can really be a place that we can get stuck and feel less vital, a place that we don't really feel welcome or that we feel invisible. And I think the audacity ingredient is so good here. I love watching people harness this when they have swagger and what they um, they call in when they tap into what belongs to them. Like older, older women with their salt and pepper hair and their lace-up combat boots and their ferocity of spirit that only belongs to somebody who has truly lived into some decades. That is who I want to learn from. And the definition of true beauty and being comfortable in your own skin. There's this woman, her name is Glenna, and I've known her for years. She's been my student for many years. But what she probably doesn't realize is that she's also been my mentor. She's probably 10 or 15 years older than me. She's really beautiful, salt and pepper, so expansive in how she communicates and loves and Glenna takes people in from all over and mentors them primarily by the bigness of how she lives, by her example. And she seems to collect rituals that honor her zest for life. She loves to eat and to cook and to celebrate, and she definitely seems to get better with age. She's somebody that makes me proud to get older and wiser and more magic in my own skin. And when you watch her, Glenna's obvious code, the one that she lives by, is that there's enough for all of us to claim and and she lives fuller than most anybody I've ever been privileged to watch. And I think it really does boil down to audacity. And she's a living teacher for me because she breaks rules that are meant to be broken, and she eliminates categories that are meant to be eliminated with audacious imagination. And it's just, it's those are the people to watch. Those are the people to, um, to surround yourself with. The most alive space is one where things are linked and crisscrossed instead of labeled and where there is reference to multiple things under the sun all, all genres, all ages, genders, colors, and mediums are invited. And where nothing is not possible. And 
this is a space where your small societal box can instantly turn into an ocean on a dime. You have to start seeing things with more expanse and more possibility. And thinking about Glenna and her gifts and bigness of heart, I will say that life is fast. Look for this audacity when you look for inner circle. For people that live this way, people, people that write movies and cook for whole, the whole neighborhood. Miracles follow those kind of people around. And as a teacher of mine told me once, you are the company you keep, so keep good company. We want to reduce things categorically because it gives the appearance of control. It makes us feel like we know things and like there is a certainty in the world. The definition of the word animacy is the state of being alive and it's in flux. It's not fixed. It's kind of shimmering with aliveness. And Robin Wall Kimmer writes in the book Braiding Sweetgrass, which I'm reading now, she writes about the language of the Potawatomi. And in this book, she talks about the grammar of animacy. And she says here, to be a hill, to be a sandy beach, to be a Saturday, all possible verbs in a world where everything is alive, water, land, and even a day, the language, a mirror for seeing the animacy of the world, the life that pulses through all things, through pines and nut hatches and mushrooms. I love this. To be a Saturday. Don't you love that? In Braiding Sweetgrass, she talks about how the English language stops us. And I can see that. There are things, worlds of feelings and nuanced spaces that we don't have words yet for. I ran across this treasure of a man, John Koenig, thanks to my brother-in-law, Todd Anthony, who pointed in that direction. And John wrote the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which is just right up my alley. And he has the audacity to make up words for complex places that we humans can live sometimes in our heads, things that we know but we don't have a file yet for or a word. Thank goodness this man exists and I know about this treasure trove now. And this is one of my favorite ones. He made up a word called midding, midding, M-I-D-D-I-N-G. And the definition is this, feeling the tranquil pleasure of being near a gathering, but not quite in it. Hovering on the perimeter of a campfire, chatting outside a party while others dance inside, resting your head in the backseat of a car, listening to your friends chatting up front, feeling blissfully invisible, yet still fully included, safe in the knowledge that everyone is together and everyone is okay, with all the thrill of being there without the burden of having to be. I love this because I see my experience in it, lingering outside a party, kind of warm and on the edge, but not responsible for how it's carried, kind of an introvert's dream. The imagination it takes, the audacity it takes just to make up something, like a word, because you need it, because it doesn't exist yet. 
This is the essence of good art. It needs to be born, and you needed to be born to birth it. And that's the way we turn our thinking to become leaders and to become innovators. So we try, we try not to kill it. We try not to kill things of their essence by condensing them and mass producing them and stuffing them down into boxes. So instead, we usher them into being without crushing them with our sheer will and audacity and imagination. And so I think we have to give time to not know. We have to give time to wander without giving names to things yet or without ever giving names to things. We let our little boys love pink and we remind our girls that they are strong, fierce, and can do anything on the menu. So what will show up when we stop labeling what it means to be a man or what it means to be woke or enlightened or strong or independent or healed when are we going to stop naming in the wellness industry what it is to be healed what that looks like what it is to be happy Because your happy is not my happy, and so forth, and so on. Our stories can become dead in the boundary of them, in the boxes that they have never been taken out of. So we tend to cut off the life force so often with the emphasis on category. I told you um, a couple weeks ago, I think, that I'm reading a book where wintering the, the title of the book is Wintering, where wintering becomes a verb, where it becomes a state of being instead of limited to like a seasonal quarter of the year. And where winter lives is different in me than it is in you, where it's linked to us both, but it has personal ways it's decorated in different bodies. Winter could be where you grieve and where I celebrate or vice versa. Recently, Otis asked me, if each day was a color, what would it be, Mama? And at first I answered with one color per day, and then I realized after some time with it, it was more layered than that for me. And I closed my eyes, and this is what I came up with. The colors of the days of the week. Monday is navy with white stripes like a grid with a sensible and productive plan. Tuesday is Kelly Green. Wednesday is Aqua with a few stars. Thursday is Burnt Orange outlined with cream. And Friday is Sun Yellow and Wide Open spilling off the page. Saturday is Red with smears of silver. And Sunday is moody and mixed. The morning on Sundays is pale gray mixed with gold. And at night is dark leather brown mixed with lamplight. The permission to reach into other buckets, unexpected places for your life. Noticing how a Saturday morning tastes or what the texture is on a Friday afternoon 
A week of work is finished. You have just noticed the sun stretches a little longer in the day and you don't have anything on your have-to list. What is the texture of that particular moment? For me, it's a white cotton sheet, warm and clean from the dryer, just smoothed out on a fresh bed. A small and sweet ritual about me is I change all of the bed sheets in our house on Fridays. I like everybody to have that feeling on Friday night when we get under the covers. Everybody in my house knows it and they love it. I've wondered after I die if Matt will keep doing this on Fridays as kind of like a memorial. By placing traditional categories on things, we wrestle things to the ground until we understand them and until they fit into this box and then we wonder why they've lost their magic. Because if we can link something like a Friday to something across the aisle, that's not usually how we would describe a Friday. We inhabit it differently. It becomes an ocean instead of a box. And so to close, we land on Mary. She says, when it's over, I don't want to wonder if I have made my life something particular and real. I don't want to find myself sighing and frightened or full of argument. I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Mary Oliver. Thanks everybody so much for listening and for your support of Things That Will Help Podcast. If you would like to become a patron of this podcast, I would always welcome that and appreciate that. And the the information for the Patreon page is on the show notes always. And um, I do hope that you can take care of yourself during this wild time. I know that there's still a lot of people hurting in a lot of situations uh, right now, still because of the pandemic that are hard and um, that feel relentless. So keep reaching out, keep writing to me, keep taking care of each other and yourself, and um, we'll keep finding the lighthouses together. Take good care.